Hey, I'm Michael Wood, lead pastor at First West. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here in just a second, we're gonna dive into God's word and to see what it says about who he is, about who we are, and about the hope that can be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that today God's word will encourage you, it'll challenge you, and it'll allow you to see that no matter where we find ourselves, there's always hope because of Jesus Christ. So let's dig in and see what God has for us today in his word. In Acts chapter one, Jesus is getting ready to ascend back to the Father. He has come, he has um, walked among humanity in his public ministry, he has gone to the cross to die for the sins of the world, he's buried. Three days later, he rises again from the grave and he spends a significant amount of time back walking among creation as the, as the resurrected Jesus. This moment comes in Acts chapter 1 where Jesus is now going to ascend back to the right hand of the Father. And at that place, the disciples ask Jesus a very loaded question. They ask him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? The question that the disciples were asking was a question asking Jesus to define the relationship. Some of you are familiar with that term to define the relationship. Some of you, you've experienced that in a romantic relationship where you had to have the conversation. What's the nature of how things are going? Where are we going? Jesus responded in a very, I think, strategic way that we're going to flesh through today. But Jesus said this, in light of the question, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this moment? And Jesus says to them, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father is set by his own authority. Today we're diving into the question, what is God's plan for Israel? We recognize that Israel, even these last couple of months, has come back into the new cycle in a significant way with all that has unfolded with uh, the attack by the Hamas. And uh, for many of us, it has caused questions to creep in. What, what is God's plan for Israel? What is happening in Israel? And so today, I'm going to attempt to help us understand all that is happening, but here's a commitment I need from you. I am committed today to talk fast. I need you to commit today to listen fast. We have a lot to cover today, and in many ways, the uniqueness of this message is one that will probably come across as more of a teaching aspect. My goal is for this not to feel like a lecture to you, um, but we've got a lot of scripture to cover because I want to teach you in this moment with my best ability and best understanding of the scripture uh, what God is doing with Israel, what the future is for Israel, and how that helps us navigate and understand what's happening even today in Israel. I gave you three guardrails or guidelines for us last week. I want to remind you of those as we discuss today things that have to do with the end times. Uh, first one is this, according to the Bible, we believe that Jesus is coming again. Uh, we firmly believe that he is coming again. Secondly, we recognize the Bible does not tell us everything about the end, but it does tell us some things about the end. Thirdly, is that a healthy perspective on the study of the end times is to be encouraged, but not abused. And so we need to approach this today. I'm approaching this today. I'm asking that I'm asking the Lord. I've asked the Lord that if I say anything that is incorrect with what is true and right, that he would remove it from your memory. I've already prayed that this morning. All right. I'm approaching today and, and all of us should approach this issue issue with great humility because at the end of the day, we just don't know. 
But that doesn't mean that we're not called to pursue with our best ability to understand what God is saying. If you have your Bible today, I want to encourage you to turn to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. We're going to spend most of our time today in Romans 9, chapter 9 through 11. Uh, and and I, I have to um, just bring you in the loop. The Romans 9 through 11 are three of the most challenging chapters of all of the Bible. Uh, there's a lot here. And so uh, I'm feeling the weight of that. I think when we get done today, you will feel the weight of that. And I'm, I would even encourage you, it may be helpful for you sometime this week when you're sitting indoors and can't go outside uh, to rewatch this message, just to, just to try to get a firm grasp of what is happening when it comes to God in Israel. So I want to ask you in Romans chapter 11, we're going to look today uh, at verse 25, we're going to go down through verse 32. So I want to ask you to stand in the honor of reading of God's word. Let's read Romans 12, 25 through 32. The Apostle Paul writes, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you will not be conceited. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Regarding the gospel, they are enemies for your advantage. But regarding election, they are loved because of the patriarchs. Since God's gracious gifts and calling are revocable, irrevocable. As you once disobeyed God, but now have received mercy through their disobedience, so they too have now disobeyed, resulting in mercy to you, so that they may also may now receive mercy. For God has imprisoned all in disobedience, so that he may have mercy on all. Let's pray together. Lord, I recognize today the chore in front of us. And Lord, I ask for that mercy today. God, would you grant us understanding, Lord? Not so that we can answer uh, questions in a trivia contest about the Bible, but, but would you give us understanding today to know how we navigate what's happening in our world and to consider what it looks like for us personally in light of what you were doing. And so God, we ask for grace. And we are confident that, Spirit of God, that you are among us in this moment. You will lead us to truth, guide us to truth. And Lord, I ask that you would help us apply the truth today. And so we give you this moment in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. May God bless the reading of his word. Today, as we work through uh, these verses in 25 through 32, our main idea is that God keeps his promises to his people. God keeps his promises to his people, and I think that that will be a great encouragement to you as we conclude our time today. As we look at this passage today, I want to begin with some two foundational issues that uh, are important for us as we consider what we've just read in Romans chapter 11. The first one is this, is for us to understand Israel the people. What are we talking about when we talk of Israel? Now, for some of you, you may have a deeper awareness and understanding of this than others. For some, your awareness is just, man, I just know that it's a country over in the Middle East, all right? 
but for us to have a grasp of exactly who these people are. In 2022, the Jewish population was roughly around 15 million people. That, were, that was those in the world that would say that they identified as Jewish above anything else. At the end of 2023, within the borders of the nation of Israel was about 7.2 million people, and that 7.2 million makes up only about 75% of the population within the borders of Israel. So that should maybe be eye-opening for some of you, that one quarter of the population within the border of Israel would not consider themselves to be Jewish. And as we look at Scripture, as we think about all these millions of people that have populated the earth, we recognize that it goes back to one man. In Genesis chapter 12, we see this covenant, this commitment that God makes to a man named Abraham, or Abram. It says here in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your land to your relatives and your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse any who treat you with contempt. And all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. I don't think there's really much misunderstanding the significance of what this moment was as God makes this commitment to Abraham that through you, you'll be a great nation. Through you, all the nations will be blessed. God reaffirms this commitment that he makes to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 in a very unique ceremony. And so we see that God chose Abraham of his own accord, his own sovereign choice. He chooses him, again here, to be a great nation. It was a nation that would be the apple of God's eye. In fact, three times in the Old Testament, he speaks of this affection and this commitment that he has to Israel, the people. We see it in Zechariah 2.8 and in Psalm 17.8. We see it in Deuteronomy 32.9 and 10, which says this. It says, but the Lord's portion is his people Jacob, his own inheritance, He found him in a desolate land, in a barren, howling wilderness. He surrounded him, cared for him, and protected him as the pupil of his eye. When he says pupil of his eye, it's literally the little man of his eye, but it's the same idea that we would use in the language of to be the apple of someone's eye. And so throughout their history, throughout God's history, then we've seen that there was this important covenant, and we've seen the affection and commitment that he has for him, and as this relationship continues, we see more covenants that are giving to the people of Israel. The Mosaic Covenant, which was a, a conditional covenant in regards to their obedience to the law. We see the Davidic Covenant, that someone would reign from David's line forever on the throne of Israel. So the people of Israel were looking and longing for this promised Messiah, longing that he would come. And in this relationship that we see all throughout the Old Testament, and God's sovereign choice of Israel, his call for them to walk in obedience and a love-faith relationship with them, we see over and over again Israel's failure to live up to what God had called them to. And yet still, nevertheless, God continues to be faithful to them, to pursue them. In Psalm 106, The actual title of the psalm is the unfaithfulness, or Israel's unfaithfulness to God. And for 42 verses, all that psalm speaks of is the unfaithfulness of Israel. How they messed up over and over and over again. 
wandering in the wilderness, building idols, worshiping false gods, right? All these things. But in Psalm 146, when you get to verse 43, and 43 through 45, you see this turn. In light of the unfaithfulness of God, listen to what the psalmist writes. It says, he, speaking of the Lord, rescued them many times. But they continued to rebel deliberately and were beaten down by their iniquity. When he heard their cry, listen to the affection here. He took note of their distress, remembered his covenant with them, and relented according to the abundance of his faithful love. So I want you today, as we dive into this, to, to know how this relationship and how this nation comes about, but also to see God's heart for his people, for his sovereign choice. I love Jeremiah 31. 35 through 36, again, just the Lord continuing to speak of his affection and his commitment to the people of Israel. It says here, Jeremiah 31, 35 through 36, this is what the Lord says. The one who gives the sun for light by day, the fixed order of moon and stars for light by night, the one who stirs up the sea and makes its waves roar, the Lord of armies is his name. If this fixed order departs from me, this is the Lord's declaration, only then will Israel's descendants cease to be a nation before me forever. Think about what has just been communicated. It is the Lord that has created and has overseen the sun and the moon and the stars, right? Those things that are fixed. And he says, only if those things go away will the descendants of Israel cease to be a nation before me forever. So I hope that you grasp. I hope that I have argued well for you to understand the nature of the relationship and God's commitment and affection for these people known as Israel. So we have Israel the people. Now let's consider Israel the place. Israel the place. You may have picked up there when I said in this covenant that he's going to make with Israel, he says there that I will make you a great nation, right? The idea of a nation is a defined group of people with a defined place in which you live, a defined nation with borders. We see this in Genesis chapter 17, verse 8. He says, and to you and your future offspring, I will give the land where you are residing, all the land of Canaan, as a permanent possession, and I will be their God. Even after they come back out of slavery in Egypt, for centuries in slavery, God once again defined the place for the people of Israel. Uh, Exodus 23, verse 31. I will set your borders from the Red Sea to the Mediter Mediterranean Sea and from the wilderness to the Euphrates rivers. For I will place the inhabitants of the land under your control and you will drive them out ahead of you. In fact, if you go further into Numbers chapter 34, you'll see even more specifics about the location that he has for his people Israel. So generation, generation goes on, and there are things that happen in the land that are significant. We know of instances with um, the invasion of the Assyrians and the Babylonians where there's destruction that comes on Israel, even at times where, where God's people are taken out of this place that he had given to them. When we get to the Gospels, we find that Israel is under Roman rule. And in fact, uh, after this, there's two Jewish major revolts towards the Romans, and Rome finally has enough, and they say, you know what? This place is going to take on a new name and a new identity, and they call it Palestine. For some of us, that connects with what we see happening in our world today. And then remarkably, in 1948, we have the reestablishment of the land of Israel. 
This was momentous. It was a momentous occasion. And what we recognize is that today, even with the reestablishment of Israel in 1948, there is still significant conflict that is taking place. Why is that the case? Why today do we see on a regular basis the conflict that is taking in this place of Israel? Well, number one, as you recognize, and you, many of you have heard of it, the challenge of trying to decide whose land really is this. Does it belong to Israel? Does it belong to the Palestinians that have been there for generation after generation after generation? The conflict continues because you recognize that it is the, the central location for three major religions between Islam, the Jewish faith, and Christianity. But ultimately, I believe that this, this conflict continues in this land, and I believe it will continue no matter what treaties are passed, no matter who's in office, that this conflict will continue until Jesus returns, because ultimately, from the establishment of Israel until Christ returns, this will continue because it is not just a physical issue, it is a spiritual issue. From the beginning of the establishment of Israel, the nations have come against God's people, and I believe that that will continue to happen. I believe that's why uh, anti-Semitism will continue to happen because it is a spiritual issue. So we see Israel the people and we see Israel the place, but today I want to spend the remainder and most significant part of our time considering the promises that God has made to Israel and for us to consider the future of Israel. So let's look at Israel the promise. And here's where I need you. I need you to dig in, all right? I know for some of you, like you were sitting on the edge of your seat, and for some of you, you were ready to eat gumbo. I recognize that. The scriptures call us that we're to love God with all of our heart and with all of our strength, but also with all of our minds. And so I, I want to I invite you to just dig with me here, and let's see if we can discover what God is doing. Let's go back to our text. Now that we've laid some foundation, let's go back to our text to consider what is God doing with Israel, what is this promise that he's made to him and how is it going to flesh out? Romans eleven twenty five. I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery. Thank you, Paul. So that you will not be conceited. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now, what in the world is Paul talking about here? A partial hardening. Let's do a little background here. You remember the promise that he had made to them, that, a great nation, or that the nations would be blessed through them, a great nation. The Davidic covenant, that there would be one who would come from David's throne that would reign on his throne forever. And so the people were longing for this Messiah. And what we understand as believers in Jesus Christ is that he did send that Messiah. And that it was through this Messiah that God's fulfillment of his promise to Abram that through him all the nations would be blessed. And we believe that in Jesus Christ that all the nations can and are blessed. But understand that for the Jewish people when Jesus showed up, as John says in John chapter 1 verse 11, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Right? John is clear here that, that God is faithful to the promise that he had made. 
This Messiah has come for the people of Jerusalem. He has come to his own. And so Jesus came to them. But instead of embracing their long-awaited Savior, what we find is that they rejected them. Of course, not all of them rejected them, but most, including the spiritual leaders of Israel. And in Luke chapter 19, we see Jesus as he weeps, as he overlooks Jerusalem, and he pronounces a judgment on Israel because they didn't recognize that God had visited them. And continuing in that same judgment, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 21, verse 43, he says, therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. So when we think about this idea of defining the relationship, Jesus has just said from his mouth that the nature of the relationship has now changed. Even in Matthew 16, as Peter famously makes his confession there, that you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, you are the Son of the living God. Jesus says in verse 19, he says to Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whoever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What Jesus is talking about here is the church. He was talking about Gentiles. And if you're here today and you are not of Jewish descent, guess what? You're a Gentile. And so Jesus is making it clear that the nature of the relationship has changed because Israel did not receive Jesus as their Messiah. He communicates this in a unique way in the parable of the wedding banquet. He tells this story about a king who threw this extravagant uh, wedding banquet for his son. And so he sends out messengers to those that are invited to come to enjoy the banquet that he has provided for them. But it says that when these messengers go out, they do not respond. And in fact, they kill the messengers. And so later on, he communicates to his servants. The king communicates to his servants. And listen to what he says in Matthew 22, verse 8 and 9. He says, then he told his servants, the banquet is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go then to where the roads exit the city and invite everyone you find to the banquet. He's illustrating through a parable that the nature of the relationship has changed. He has come to his own and his own have not received him. They've not come to the banquet. And so he tells the servants here, you go to the highways and the byways. You go to the nations and you tell them that there is a banquet waiting for them. And a more straightforward response to, in response to the faith of a non-Jewish Roman centurion, when this Roman centurion exhibited faith, he says this in Matthew chapter 8, verse 11 and 12, I tell you that many will come from east and west to share the banquet with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom, who is that? I believe he's speaking of Israel here. But the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The relationship has changed. So where the nations were supposed to be blessed through the nation of Israel, Christ came to his people in their land 
preaching in their temple and in their synagogues, preaching a fulfillment of their scriptures, and it tells us that they received him not. And so judgment has come on the Israelites. I think this is what Paul is speaking of here when he says a partial hardening. And so we come to Romans now. And in Romans chapters 1 through 8, we see this beautiful laying out of the gospel. That salvation, that it is by grace through faith, that we are justified, we are made right with God, not of our works, but because of him, because of his death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, of Christ for all who believe. And so he's laying out this gospel in 1 through 8, and whether Paul knows that the Romans are asking this question or he just perceives that they might ask it. Well, what about Israel? What about Israel? It's Jesus was clear judgment had come on Israel and that the keys of the kingdom had been given to the church now. And now Paul's laid out the gospel here in 1 through 8 and the centrality of faith and the centrality of grace in our relationship with God. And so Paul, whether knowing their question or perceiving what they're thinking, he asked, well, what about Israel? And so look with me. You may need to flip but Romans 11, verse 1. Romans chapter 11, verse 1. Look at how Paul begins. And I want you to notice this on the screens. Paul asks the question, I ask then, has God rejected his people? Has God rejected Israel? Jesus called down judgment on them. He's now invited those in the highways and the byways. Salvation is now for the Gentiles, right? We're now in this new covenant. And he asks again, look at me down in verse 11. Very similar question. I ask then, have they stumbled so far as to fall? What he's asking here is the Israelites, have they stumbled, not so much just to kind of stumble off to the side and then get your feet. When he says fall here, he means their complete ruin. Because they didn't receive Jesus, because judgment has come on them, does this mean that God has completely rejected the nation of Israel? And if you look at verse 1 and you look at verse 11, you see the same response. Absolutely not. Do you see that? This is the strongest terms in which Paul can communicate it. No, 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 no. God has not completely rejected Israel. They have not stumbled so far as that they have fallen. And so this is a partial hardening. For some of us, we hear that word and we think about that idea of God hardening the Israelites, and that can be hard to process, and you're exactly right. And in fact, he addresses this issue in Romans chapter 9. Romans 9 is a lot about God's sovereignty and election. Romans 10, I believe, is a lot about man's responsibility. And then in Romans 11, I think, is Paul marrying that and defining the relationship and how that works together. But in Romans 9, he speaks of Pharaoh and his heart being hardened. And we see that when we look at in the Old Testament, God delivering the people out of Egypt. But I want to remind you that before God hardens his heart, we see in Exodus that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And so it is the unique mystery of how God and his sovereignty and his sovereign will and man's responsibility, how they are joined together. So before we jump to it and say, well, gosh, that is just unfair of God that he would harden them, that they wouldn't have a chance to respond to the gospel, uh, they bear a responsibility. In fact, look at Romans chapter 10, verse 21. I hope you came ready to get a workout with your hands and your fingers flipping today. Look at what he says. He says, but to Israel, God says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and defiant people. 
says, I have held my hands out to you, and you've not responded. In Romans 9, 31 and 32, he gives more clarity to Israel's responsibility. He says, but Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not received the righteousness of the law. Why is that? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as it were, by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. So Paul says it is a partial hardening. It is in response to their disobedience. It is in response to the judgment that God has placed on them. But notice he says it's partial. What does that mean? What does it mean that he has partially hardened them? Well, I think there's two things that speak to that. Number one, it's the understanding that there is a remnant that is left. Paul addresses this in Romans chapter 11 at the beginning here when he asks the question, has God rejected his people? Has he rejected Israel? Absolutely not. And what is Paul's defense of that? That he has not completely hardened them and so that there's no chance to respond to the gospel. He says, look at me. Look at me. He says, for I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. He says, God hasn't fully hardened Israel because I'm a testament that there is still a remnant, a remnant. We see this all throughout the Old Testament. It's a small group of faithful believers that regardless of what's happening, they remain faithful to the Lord. And so Paul says, listen, this is a partial hardening because there are those that are children of the promise that are still coming to faith in Christ. And he says, you can put me at the top of the list. So there is a remnant. Abby and I, this summer, we met a couple in their mid-20s and they believe that God has sent them. And right now, they are living in Jerusalem. And they are there with a burden and trusting that it is a partial hardening. And they are longing and giving their lives to see Jews come to faith in Jesus Christ. There's still a remnant. Another part that it, the reason that it's partial is because it's passing. It's passing. All right, go with me back to verse 25 here in Romans 11. He says here, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until, circle that word until if you write in your Bible, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so we see in verse 30 and 31, he fleshes that out some more for us. As you once disobeyed God, but have now received mercy, look at what he says, through their disobedience. Right, that in their disobedience, right, that the nature of the relationship changed. And Jesus said, we're going to the highways and the byways. We're going to the nations. We're going to the Gentiles. He continues there. He says, so they too have now disobeyed. And Paul says, it's resulting in mercy to you, Romans. It's resulting in mercy to the Gentiles so that they may also now receive mercy. He's making sure it's clear. Listen, don't think you're a big deal, Gentiles. Don't think you're big and bad because the nature of the relationship has changed and now he's given the keys of the kingdom to the church. He's saying, listen, this is, this is only through God's sovereign will and as a result of Israel. And so he goes on, and this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time today processing through this in verse 26. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. All right, so there's judgment that's come because Israel did not receive their Messiah. They didn't receive Christ. The keys of the kingdom has been taken from Israel. It's been given to the church. There's a partial hardening. A remnant will still exist. There will still be children of the promise that are coming to faith in Christ. It'll be partial because it is passing because when all the Gentiles come in, the nature of the relationship will change again. And it says here that all Israel will be saved. What the heck, Paul? 
What does that mean? What is God's plan for Israel? Does that mean that when the fullness of Gentiles come in, I love it as one pastor said, that means there ain't going to be a single empty seat in heaven. Every single one that's supposed to be there will be there when the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. Does that mean that everyone that lives within the borders of Israel will be saved? Does that mean that anyone that can claim any type of Jewish ethnicity will be saved? Does that mean uh, the young man who lives in Nebraska, that if he were to look at his DNA through one of those things you submit, he finds that he has 0.5% Jewish DNA? Does that mean that when this partial hardening ends, that all of Israel will be saved? For time's sake, no. And let me quickly explain, and then I'm going to show you two options. All of Israel will be saved is a very definitive statement, but I don't want you to miss this. Look with me in Romans 9, 6, and 7. We've really got to put our thinking caps on here, all right? Again, I know you're ready for gumbo, but let's, let's finish well here, all right? Listen to what Paul says here in Romans chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. He says, Now it is not as though the word of God has failed, because not all who descended from Israel are Israel. Neither is it the case that all of Abraham's children are his descendants. On the contrary, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. Anybody confused yet? Welcome to the party, all right? What Paul does here in Romans 9 in this section, he uses two examples to show that not everyone that could trace their lineage back to Abraham was Israel. And he uses two examples to do this, two biological examples. For those of you that you know the Old Testament, maybe a little bit better than others, you recognize the nature of uh, the child Isaac and Ishmael. And God was clear that the promise was through Isaac, not Ishmael. Later on, we see the nature of Jacob and Esau. And in this relationship, and he was clear that the, that the promise was coming through the line of Jacob. And so he's making it clear here that, that there is a true Israel, those that, that are children of the promise, that they go through Isaac and they go through Jacob, and it helps us have an understanding that the, the, the children of the promise, it doesn't just mean that on their family tree they could trace it back to Abraham. And so in that light and understanding and being willing to consider that truth, then we consider what does it mean that not all of Israel is Israel, even when it comes to those that are children of this promise. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, speaking of Abram or Abraham, right? The father of Israel. Listen to what it says. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. The righteousness for Abraham did not come because God made a covenant with him. The righteousness of Abraham came because of his what? Faith. Because he believed. As an example, in John chapter 8 of this understanding of the centrality of faith to who the true Israel is, in John chapter 8, Jesus is continuing this tense conversation he's been having with the Pharisees. Remember the Pharisees, right? Those are the spiritual leaders of, Jew, uh, uh, of Israel. They've had this tense conversation going back and forth. And in John 8, 39 through 41, he tells them, you are not sons of Abraham. And then he directly says to them in John chapter 8, verse 47, the one who is from God listens to God's words. 
This is why you don't listen, because you are not from God. Now again, for some of you, the gears are really spinning now. These Pharisees, I think they would have echoed like the Apostle Paul in Philippians when he said, listen, when it comes to being Jewish, I was circumcised on the eighth day, right? I am, I am of the nation of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, right? I am a Hebrew of Hebrew, right? The Pharisees, this would have been their same testimony. And I'm a child of the promise. We are sons of Abraham. And Jesus, there's no mincing words here. You are not from God. So with that understanding, who is the all Israel that Jesus is speaking of here? What is his plan for Israel? What is going to happen? Two options for us. The first option is this. This is based in an understanding of God's relation to people with an idea called covenantalism. Right? There's your, I got two nerdy words for you today, but they're important words. The first one is covenantalism. This is the idea that the New Testament church is the fulfillment of Israel. That the promises that were intended for Israel find their fulfillment in the church. This refers, in a sense, to a spiritual Israel. It's known, some of you may be aware of this, it's known as replacement theology or inclusion theology. It affirms that the church has completely replaced Israel and will inherit God's promises to Israel, to the covenants then, will be fulfilled only in a spiritual sense. So in other words, God's plan for Israel is that Israel will not inherit the actual land of Israel. The church is the new Israel, and ethnic Israel is forever excluded from the promises. And some of you go, whoa, that sounds completely out of step of what I've ever known and heard. And for some of you, you might be right, but I want you to understand that that position has strong biblical support. And there are men that I trust and respect and some that I have a hard time disagreeing with it because of the respect that I have for them. They'd hold to that position. They look at passages like Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, where Paul says, now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as though referring to many, but referring to one, and to your seed, who is Christ. What he's implying there is you don't have Israel over here as one seed, and the church over here as another seed, but it says that, God, that Abraham has what? One seed. It is Israel and the church. That is his seed. We see in Galatians, the end of Galatians, verse 16, a verse that is debated over on this subject, where Paul, wrapping up the letter, says, May peace come to all of those who follow this standard, and mercy even to the Israel of God. There's debate. Is he talking about the church and Israel, or did he just call the church the Israel of God? So that's one position, is that the church is the fulfillment of that. And then secondly, there's the belief that all of Israel will be saved, but this is the true Israel, those that will receive Christ by faith. Not just an Israel of ethnicity, but of faith. In the Old Testament, it was faith. This is why Abel's offering was received by God and Cain's wasn't. It's why God said obedience is better than sacrifice. And now this side of the cross and the resurrection, it is based on a response to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Zechariah points to this in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. He says, Then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the house of David and the residents of Jerusalem, and they will look at me whom they pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly for him as one weeps for a firstborn. 
Zechariah, through the providence of God and the revelation of God, he saw a day that was coming when the partial hardening would end. When the sons of David, when they would see the one that he had pierced. I mean, this is centuries before Jesus ever shows up, but he sees it through the revelation that there is a day that is coming when the sons of David, when they will see the one whom they pierce and they will mourn. It's a picture of repentance. It's a picture of responding to this one who suffered. And so a partial hardening will end, and the the Jews by droves will see that Christ is the Messiah. They will repent, and then the unfulfilled promises to Israel will be fulfilled. John MacArthur summarizes these, that God's promises to Israel is to say that ultimately his promise is to redeem them, to give them a glorious kingdom, and to give them peace from all their enemies and fullness of blessing. I'll just tell you in full disclosure, and I always want to approach this with humility, but I think I owe it to you to share with you where I land on this issue, is that for me, I still believe that there are promises of Israel that are yet to be fulfilled. Just as I'm trusting that there's promises that he has made to me, I'm trusting him to fulfill those in the same way I look to Old Testament promises that he made that in my understanding have not been fulfilled, and I think that there will be a fulfillment of those promises. So what do we see in the future for Israel? Well, we see a gathered back to the land. We see that potentially showing strong, or can be strongly argued, took place in 1948. We're going to see, we'll talk more about this next week, but the Antichrist is going to make a seven-year covenant of peace with Israel, a rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. We're going to see after three and a half years of the tribulation period that this Antichrist is going to betray Israel and that the nations are going to come. There's going to be worldwide persecution on the Jewish people, but ultimately Israel will be regenerated, restored, and regathered. (laughs) So, let me try to answer a question that many of you have been asking for about the last 40 minutes. So what? So what? Several things. Number one, let's just be reminded today that the United States of America is not Israel. That's a good place for us just to start today. These promises that were made were made to a specific people in a specific time for a specific plan. The United States of America is not found in the Bible. It's not found in the book of Revelation. There's some that might argue with me on that, but I don't believe that's the case. So let's just have a good biblical worldview so that when we try to read Scripture and understand Scripture, we're we're remembering that. Secondly, just to be reminded that this conflict in Israel, it's going to continue. It just is. But be reminded that ultimately God and his fulfillment to Israel will have victory. Third is this, and this is one of my bigger burdens of the day, I think, when we think about how do we relate to Israel. Not just as the people of God, as his church, as believers in Christ, but also as we navigate what's happening in the world, what you're hearing on the news, with the conversations you're having at work. I hope today that you could come out of this and say, gosh, the people of Israel are very, very important people, and I believe that God is going to be faithful to the promises that he made for Israel. But I also want you to be able to understand that, listen, politically, Israel is an ally of our country. It's an important ally for our country. And for the flourishing of our nation and our families, I think 
most of us in the room would say it would be good for us and go well for us for the good of Israel, right? Again, we can disagree on that, and that's fine, but, but I think most of us in here would agree with that. But I also want us to understand that we can have a biblical worldview on what's happening in our world, and at times if Israel does something that doesn't seem right, it's okay to say that's not right. Because even as we look at the Old Testament, we see Israel didn't always do right, did they? It's important for us as believers in Christ who place value on the authority and inerrancy of this word that we always look through a biblical lens before we look through a political one. And then lastly is this. For that young couple that's gone to Israel, they've gone there taking the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ because they fear for those that are living, believing that they have Jewish ethnicity, so they're all right. It's going to be fine. They're a part of God's chosen people, so it's all going to work out in the end. All of Israel's going to be saved. It's going to be just fine. And today, we would hear that, and hopefully in light of this message, you feel a burden and go, no, no. But in the same way, I'm burdened for those of us in this room and in this parish and in the state and in our country and around the globe that would say, well, you know, I, I mean, I've just always been around church. I'm good. My grandma and my grandpa, they were faithful in church. Mom and dad went. I was here all the time. Even for some of us, we think, man, when I was four years old, I prayed a prayer and I walked an aisle, so I just, I must be good. And we're assuming, and those assumptions contradict what's God's word has, what God's word has said and said, no, it is about repentance and it is about faith and it is about submission and taking up my cross and following him. My hope today for you as you think about the so what of Israel is that you would be willing in this moment to evaluate your own personal life and say, golly, Israel rejected the Messiah when he came to them. Don't let me be caught thinking that, oh, I'm good because I'm religious and I've got faith in my background that you would reject responding to him just as he has clearly called you to. And so today I want to pray for us, and then we're going to have a time to sing. We're going to sing of the mercy of God. And if nothing else, you have no other reason to sing today, you can just sing that for probably 99.9% of us in here today, we are those Gentiles that were in the highways and the byways, and we can be thankful that when those didn't come to the banquet, that God didn't shut the banquet down, but he said, you go to the nations and you bring them in. And so would we just be able to sing in response to the mercy of God today? Maybe you've got a prayer need in your life. Maybe you want to join this church. I don't know what it is, but we're going to have leaders down here, down front. We'll have some of the landing up there in the balcony. But let's just sing and be grateful for the mercy of God today. Would you bow your heads with me today? Lord, I pray that you would take everything that was just spit out and you would help it make sense, that the truth would stick, that what is confusing, you would give clarity. Lord, ultimately, for us, our personal responsibility to think deeply about you. But then also to be assured of ourselves that in our familiarity with religion, that we don't overlook our Redeemer. And God, would we see with clarity for the Apostle Paul, he was of the nation of Israel, Hebrew of Hebrews, of the tribe of Benjamin, all those things. He was very religious, but he knew that his salvation came through faith, 
faith in your glorious gospel, Jesus, of your death, burial, and resurrection. Thank you for the mercy that you have shown us. Lord, would we be faithful to pray for Israel, to pray that they would come to understand, to mourn over the one they have pierced, and that they would respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope, again, that you were uh, encouraged by what God had to say for you and for your life. I just want to extend an invitation for you today. Maybe today you realize that you need Jesus in your life. Maybe today you just need to take that next step in your spiritual walk, or maybe you've got a spiritual need. And I want you to know that we would love to come alongside you and serve you any way that we can. Feel free to reach out to us at firstwest.cc, or you can call the church, 318-322-5104. And we would love to help you in what God is doing in your life. Have a great day.